0: open your Bibles with me, please, to a verse of Scripture that is usually regarded as a Christmas text, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I'm not used to preaching with people behind me. I remember I was watching Charles Stanley on TV one time and two guys in the choir fell asleep while he was preaching, and he's good, I mean, he's good, so I don't know, keep an eye on these folks back here, I'll try to keep them awake. Preaching is talking in someone else's sleep, and uh, so we keep that in mind. Isaiah 9, 6 is a verse that has changed my life. And ministry. And I would like to share my journey uh, with you today uh, into an understanding of two words in this verse that have uh, totally transformed my life in ministry. So let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are the one who can change us. And that you are in that process with every believer. The process of sanctification. Of turning people like us into people like Jesus. What a project. And yet we thank you that that's what you are doing with every believer. Help us to understand your part in this. As we study your word today, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 9.6 For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, does your Bible have a comma in between Wonderful and Counselor? How many people have a comma? Can I see your hand? How many people don't have a comma? Yeah. It's about half and half. And uh, actually, when you translate the Hebrew into English, you could do it either way. Because... Wonderful is a noun in the Hebrew, and it stands alone as a name for God. When Manoah, Samson's father, was met by the angel of the Lord, he said, what's your name? so when, you, when what you said comes to pass, uh, we can thank you. And he said, my name is Wonderful, Wonderful. And that's why we can sing, His name is wonderful. Uh, he has a wonderful name. It is full of wonder and awe. And we never finish understanding the wonder of our Lord. Uh, he is wonderful. He is also counselor. When Jesus went up to heaven, He said, I'm going to send you another comforter, another paraclete. Another Counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Because God is the Counselor. But if you look at the context, which is very important in understanding and interpreting Scripture, we find that Isaiah 9-6 has compound names for God. Double names. It is Wonderful Counselor. It is Mighty God. It is Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. But I would like to talk to you today... About the compound name for our Savior Jesus, which is the Wonderful Counselor. This became important to me back in 1966. Anybody else remember 1966? I remember 1966. I was 16 years old. I had been working in a Christian camp up in New Hampshire, and uh, I arrived, uh, flew in uh, to Newark Airport, and took the bus to my house and. Uh, Due to delays, I I arrived in the middle of the night and found that my parents had moved away, (laughs) hadn't told me. My father, who had been a pastor for many years, one of the finest men I have ever known, had had what they called back then a nervous breakdown. He couldn't preach, couldn't visit, couldn't deal with people, cried a lot felt guilty about everything, just fell apart. And so he was living down the shore with another family and going to a psychiatrist in New York City that was giving him the little blue pills to help him. We spent a year, I lived with my grandparents for a year up in the Catskill Mountains while my dad basically for a year couldn't do anything. And we were not wealthy people, <laughs> no reserves, you know. And so we just kind of lived with relatives. And uh, my dad could not do much of anything for a year. Uh, God restored him, and he had his most fruitful years of ministry following that time. I don't understand everything about that, but it started me thinking as a young man, what is going on with my dad? Why is he so, as we call it now, depressed? And uh, and and what will help? What's wrong with him? And what will help him? And it got me studying uh, Freud and Eric Fromm and Rogers and others writers in the area of psychology. I discovered that psychology is the study of the soul. I tried to understand what makes people tick. I was trying to figure out what was making me tick. I was a teenager. I wouldn't be a teenager again for a million bucks, I'll tell you. I didn't have a lot of friends, but I had a lot of pimples. I'll tell you, (laughs) teenage years were tough for me. They were tough. I don't know about you. And, uh, And I went through a lot of difficulties trying to understand people, trying to understand my dad, trying to understand what was going on. Eventually, I got to Philadelphia College of Bible, and our first year, we did Rogerian counseling. We all sat around in a circle and tried to understand how everybody was feeling about everything. You ever try to do that? That's interesting. Hmm, Non-directive, you know, draw it out of people. And then a man by the name of Dr. J. Adams wrote a book called Competent to Counsel that amazed me because for the first time in my life someone had taken the ideas of psychology and the bible and had tried to put it all together i got so excited i had the privilege in seminary biblical seminary of studying with dr j adams and john bettler who founded the christian counseling educational foundation And I was thrilled because they believed that the Bible had the answers to the souls of men and women and young people. They thought the Bible had practical answers. I remember growing up being in the church, if anybody had a nervous breakdown or psychological problems, you referred them to the worldly unsaved shrink because that was a whole different thing. It went to the psychiatrist or the psychologist. But Jay Adams started to believe that perhaps the Bible... The Spirit of God was the key to people's souls. While I was studying with uh, Jay Adams and Dr. Bettler, a little church I was pastoring in Percisee, Pennsylvania, a lady started attending. Uh, She was a divorced lady with two two children. And uh, she started having psychotic episodes. She would assume that bugs were crawling all over her body and start ripping it tearing at her clothes. Uh, She was seeing things. She believed she was demon. Demons were in her it was very complex. She was really a mess. I didn't know what to do with her. So her family put her in a private mental hospital. We went to visit her there and 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 she wasn't being helped. They were just drugging her up. So I thought we got to get her out of here. So my wife and I went and And we took her out of there, but we didn't take her right to our house. We took her uh, to John Bettler. (laughs) I made an appointment for her. And she spent about an hour and a half with Dr. Bettler. And when she came out, she was different. She was different. She was already a believer in Christ. Uh, But he dealt with something in her past that was so shameful and difficult for her to face And he dealt with it in terms of the gospel the blood of christ and the forgiveness found through christ's death for her Uh, I don't know all the details of that session. I didn't sit in on it But that lady was different afterwards. We just saw her a couple weeks ago. (laughs) That was 45 years ago (laughs) She came and lived with us and then her kids came and lived with us and uh Uh, To my knowledge, she's never had another psychotic episode because uh, the deepest problems of the soul are guilt and bitterness. The deepest problems of the soul are guilt and bitterness, and the answer to those things is found in this book. I believe that. Now, is there a place for psychiatrists and psychologists? And if you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I'll be glad to talk to you later. But I believe that all true knowledge is founded in the Word of God. And if it doesn't fit with this book, I toss it. Sorry. Science is not my God. God. Academics and knowledge of the world, worldly knowledge, is not my God. My God is the true God, the Creator, and the One who wrote this book. And this book is the answer to man's soul needs. He is the wonderful Counselor. That concept opened the Bible for me in a new way. It was like a light bulb came on. And I began studying the Bible, not merely to find the theological ideas in the Bible about God and salvation and all of these things, but I began looking into the Bible for the answers to human problems. Because most of pastoral work is dealing with people as they are with problems of the soul. I began studying and I found in the Bible 16 cases where God Himself directly dealt with individuals who had psychological or soul problems. I began to analyze how God Himself diagnosed their problem, how He counseled them, and then what the outcome was. I taught that material to our church there at Limerick Chapel. I had the opportunity to minister with my wife down in Ecuador at a uh, conference of missionaries, their annual meeting. And we worked this through in a very dynamic, interactive setting. I eventually wrote those things down, wrote a book, It's translated into Spanish as well. had the opportunity to teach that for Biblical Ministries Worldwide field conference in in Europe, also in South America, to missionaries. Because I believe that we need to understand how the wonderful counselor counseled people in the Bible so that we can know our God, we can know ourselves, and we can help other people with God's wonderful counsel. I discovered that there were 29 methods that God Himself used in the counseling of individuals as described in the Bible. This morning is the introduction to a series I call Wonderful Counselor. And I hope I have an opportunity uh, to teach through this in the various counseling sessions as recorded in the Scripture. I hope it will open up to you the understanding of who God is, who we are, and how we can truly learn to counsel others the way God counsels us. One thing that Jay Adams brought out in his book, and it's in his title, Competent to Counsel, is that every believer is competent to help one another in the trials of life. I found that every believer can be a good listener and can pray with others. But also, we ought to learn how to open up the Scriptures to encourage one and other. I'd like you to look with me at some of the Scriptures that God used in my life. If you have your Bible, I would like you to open up to Psalm 16 and verse 7. Psalm 16 and verse 7. Psalm 16 and verse 7, the psalmist writes, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. David said, the Lord counsels me. I believe that the Bible is the script for your life. Now, I know here at Wake Chapel, you believe that this is the Scripture that is the infallible, inspired Word of God. And you stand on that, and you base everything on the Bible. But I want to go a little step further and say, this is the script for your life. To put it in computer terms, I believe that this is the hardware and this is the software. And a lot of people are not running the right programs on their brain. I believe that the God who created your brain and your mind is the one who wrote the Scriptures. And that there is more wisdom and complexity in this book than in all the created universe. This is God's Word. It is the script for your life. It is God's will for your life. Some people say, I want to know God's will. They're usually talking about who to marry, where to go to college. Those are not the most important aspects of God's will for your life. Those are fairly small details. Because the most important thing is not who you marry, but who you are. And how you relate to your spouse. That's the most important thing. Being the right person, not just finding the right person. I believe 95% of the will of God for our lives is contained in the Word of God and that's why it must be always part of our lives. He says, God gives me counsel. Are you being counseled by God? Are you reading the Scriptures not only in an inspirational, devotional way to kind of cheer you up and keep you going like an extra cup of coffee, or are you allowing the Scriptures to convict you to guide you, to correct you, to lead you, to reset the focus of your life. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 13 with me, please. Some of the passages that God used in my life. Isaiah 40 and verse 13. Isaiah 40, 13, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding. Sadly enough, we live in a world today where God is on trial. Every time we have a catastrophe, somebody on the news says, Okay, preacher, where is God? And if there really is a God, why did He let this happen? And they'll get a liberal preacher on there and he'll say, we just don't know. And then they'll say, he's so spiritual. Let me tell you, God is not on trial. This world is on trial. And the world has already been found guilty before God in the trial of His moral law. When a wall fell on a bunch of people in Jesus' day, they said, were these more wicked than the, than the others? And Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. When something bad happens in this world, we say, God, you're doing wrong. No. We all deserve every earthquake and hurricane and flood that you can imagine. We deserve to be in hell now. Not just at the end of a nice life, okay? Okay? Every person on this earth is found guilty before God and is deserving of hell forever. That is what the Bible says. God is not on trial. We are on trial. God does not need to be corrected. We need to be corrected. And the Word of God was given to us to correct us. And God doesn't need any counselors. Our president does. I pray that he'll get some good ones. He seems to cycle them through, you know. I don't know. We think, how could one man make all the decisions that have to be made by a president? But our God does not need any counselors. He does not need to seek your advice or anybody else's. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the source of all counsel. And He doesn't need to go to a counselor. I did a number of years ago. (laughs) My church board said, uh, why don't you go for some counseling? Our church was having some problems, and I was part of it. They said, why don't you go for counseling? And we'll pay for it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I went. And it was wonderful. It was an older, retired pastor at the Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, and he listened to me, and he prayed with me, and he cared for me, and he pointed some things out to me. He said, you know, one of the greatest challenges in being a pastor is ministering to your critics. And I had some. Yeah, even in the church. Can you imagine that? I had critics in the church. How do you minister to people who don't like you? How do you minister to people who don't care for you? One of the greatest challenges, I call it feeding the hand that bites you. It's uh, it's a challenge. You may have that in your life. How do you deal with people who criticize you and put you down? How do you love them? How do you minister to them? It was good for me. I needed counseling, but I'll tell you what. God doesn't need any counsel. He's got it all. Look at Isaiah 28-29. Isaiah 28-29. Isaiah 28 and verse 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts who has made His counsel wonderful. He is the wonderful counselor because He gives wonderful counsel. And His wisdom is great. He is wonderful in counsel. Why? Because He is God. Jesus Christ... The incarnate Son of God is the wonderful Counselor. And He not only tells us how to live, but Jesus came to earth and showed us how to live. I am a dispensationalist, and so I major in the epistles, but I tell you what, I had a whole new understanding of the Gospels when I began to understand that Jesus is the wonderful Counselor and that everything He did was right. And when you study the Gospels, you learn not only about God and learn theology, but you watch what Jesus does and you see how you are to relate to people and experiences and everything else. How did Jesus train the twelve? Fascinating study of how discipleship is to be done. How Jesus did it. So He not only taught perfectly and gave that perfect verbal counsel, but He illustrated it with the example of His own life. And you know, that's the most powerful influence you can ever be with anybody. I have grown children. I have five grown children, all married. And, and uh, you know, I've found that you don't give them advice unless they ask for it. And they don't ask for it. That's what i found. You know, because they think they've heard it all from us. You know what I mean? They, they already know what we were going to say before we said it. But, uh, but we all really do need the counsel of God. We may not think... That we need the counsel of other people, but we do need the counsel of God. That's the prophecy. The prophecy is that a wonderful counselor would come, that he would be Emmanuel. What is the fulfillment? Look with me at John chapter 2 in the New Testament. John chapter 2. We were in John chapter 1 last week. Today, John chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25. John 2 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Finally, I said, I found somebody that knows what makes me tick. Somebody who knows what makes you tick. I found somebody who understands my dad. What makes him tick? He knew what was in man. Do you realize what a burden for Jesus to have that every person that he met, he knew all about them. Isn't that incredible? I had a man this morning, he says, sometime we need to get together so I can tell you about everybody here at church. <laughs> and I said, no, I said, don't do that. The One good thing about getting a new pastor is that he doesn't know all that. You know, let's have a fresh start here, please. But Jesus had the burden of knowing everything that anybody ever did. Remember he met Nathaniel. He said, "Nathaniel, I saw what you did under that tree. He's like, "Whoa, Nobody knew that. You must be the Messiah. Do you know he knows everything that you ever did and he loves you? Wow. That's love, isn't it? He knows everything. So, there isn't anything that a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anybody knows that Jesus doesn't know. He knows what is in man. He knows the soul of every human person in every individual case. He knows the diagnosis. He knows the cure for every person upon this earth in every problem. That's Jesus. He knows what is in man? Look with me at Romans 11.34. Romans 11 and verse 34. This great doxology. In the book of Romans. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor? Or who was first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him Again, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Jesus is the Lagos. He is the center of the universe. He is the One who made all things, who upholds all things by the Word of His power. He holds everything together. He is the Lagos. The Word. The full expression of who God is. Jesus. Jesus the Lagos. Back in 1988, Diane and I came to Limerick Chapel as a new senior pastor, and uh, we had just had our sixth child, our daughter, just been born a couple weeks before. We took a vacation uh, with some friends down in Ocean City, Maryland. Diane's mom was there, and And uh, we used to ride bikes a lot, and so my boys and I were out riding bicycles. And uh, a city bus uh, ran over my son Nathan, who was seven years old, and he died instantly. That was the hardest thing that we've ever been through together, and uh, uh, great grief. There was a Christian lady came to us and she said this. She said, the loss of a child is like having a limb ripped off. It's like having your arm or your leg ripped off. And there is a wound, a wound to the soul. And just like physical wounds, uh, a wound of the soul uh, will not be healed merely by time. We say time heals all wounds. It does not. It heals clean wounds. That's what she told us. She said it's clean wounds that heal. And the thing you have to do with a wound of the body is you have to keep it clean. If you can keep it clean, then it will heal with time. The body will heal itself. But it'll take time. And she said, here's what will infect the wounds of your soul in the death of your son. It will either be guilt or bitterness. Well, I had both of them. I had guilt because I was responsible for my son that day. I was responsible for where he was on his bike at that time, and I had all the if-onlys. If only I had done this, if only I had not done that, or whatever. I had the if-onlys. I felt terrible going home and telling Diane that our son was dead because I felt responsible. I felt guilt. I, I saw his, his broken body on the ground. I couldn't blot it out of my mind. It was um, pervasive felt guilty. I also felt bitter against the bus driver who had been careless and run over my son. I had a dirty wound. I had guilt and bitterness to deal with. I learned through that circumstance that the only thing that will help you deal with guilt is the blood of Jesus. Not alibis, not explanations, not blame shifting, not all the other Foolish methods that we use. people try to drown their guilt in drugs and alcohol or entertainment or whatever it is, put out the lights, whatever, but the blood of Jesus. And so every time I felt that guilt, as I saw my son's broken body on the ground, I said, "You know, whatever guilt I have, I put on Jesus." And he has healed me. He has healed me. He healed my soul. I know that I am forgiven. I went to the bus driver and I said, uh, I forgive you. He didn't even say he was sorry, but I I just, I had to do that. I said, I'm not doing that for you, I'm doing it for me. I forgive you for running over my son. And I began doing what Jesus said. He said, pray for those who despitefully use you, you know? And I began praying for that bus driver by name every day. Every time I thought about him and what he had done, I prayed for him that God would save his soul. What joy came to me several months later when, through mutual friends, I found out that he had come to Christ as his Savior. What about you? Do you have wounds in your soul? Have you had losses? Do you have grief? It is a wound of the soul. How are you dealing with the wounds of your soul? You will have them if you live long enough. You will have wounds of the soul. Divorces. Death. Bankruptcy. You name it. They're wounds of the soul. How do you deal with it? Blood of Jesus for guilt. And a forgiving heart of Jesus for bitterness. Amen? And if you practice it, Over time, you keep cleansing that wound day after day after day. You will wake up someday and you will find out that you are healed. Because time does not heal all wounds, but time does heal clean wounds. And only Jesus can clean the wounds. I believe the biggest problems in psychology today and the souls of people today are guilt and bitterness. And isn't it interesting that that's what the Bible is all about? The Bible is all about how God has dealt with the problem of guilt through his son Jesus, who died in our place and shed his blood for us to forgive us for our sins. And how he then calls us who have been forgiven to forgive others. And when we do that, we are truly set free, we are liberated, we are healed. Praise the Lord, my son Nathan did know Christ as his Savior. We look forward to seeing him again. We have not lost him, but he has gone home. He's the only one I don't worry about. <laughs> He's the only one I don't pray for. Yeah. Turn with me to Hebrews 6.17. I want to show you one more thing here. Hebrews 6.17. Hebrews 6.17. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose, often also translated counsel, bulamai, counsel, purpose, will. The unchangeableness of His counsel interposed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, I believe that God's counsel is unchangeable. I believe... That no matter whether we live in an iPhone age or we live in a stone age, whatever age mankind has lived in, human problems have been the same and God's solution is unchangeable. I'm still on the radio back in Pennsylvania. And uh, uh, people often think Well, that was the message I preached last Sunday. No, actually, they're airing now messages I preached 14 years ago. (laughs) And you know why they can run messages that I preached 14 years ago? Because God's truth doesn't change. Okay? Um, People don't change. People are the same. I remember when I went from a rough, tough inner city congregation to a very sophisticated suburban congregation. And I was going to preach through the book of the first Corinthians. I thought, I can't talk about that stuff here. These people are way too nice for this. But I preached it anyway. After a few years, I realized in the counseling sessions that, you know, people are same wherever you go. Some people just, you have to peel the onion a whole lot more to get down to the basics. But you know what? People are people. And people have the same problems. And if you want to understand people, you want to understand sin, you want to understand salvation, study this book. Hey, all the sins are in here. I'm telling you, they are. No new sins. Remember one time we had young people reading through the Bible with us, reading through the Bible in a year. They were shocked at some of the things that were in the Bible. They had no idea. It was I th- you know, they had a flannel graph version of the Bible. You know? The Bible is not a flannel graph story. Praise God for flannel graph and the nice stories kids learn in Sunday school, but I'll tell you the Bible is a rough and tough book that deals with the issues of life head on. It's all in here, folks. Have you read all the way through the Bible yet? If you haven't done that, you ought to do that. You'll be amazed at what is in this book. God's counsel. His unchangeable counsel. young man came to me this week and he said, I don't know what to do. He said, I've got some friends uh, who are... Uh, lesbians and uh, and so forth and and involved in all these kind of uh, LGBTQ uh, things and all that kind of stuff. And yet they have an interest in God and the Bible and even church. But I'm afraid if I brought them to church that they would be offended by some of the things that they would hear you talking about and they'd never come back. I said, that's a really good question. What do you do? What do you do? You know what most churches are doing these days? They're rounding off all the sharp edges. They just talk nice in church. They talk about nice church stuff, about nice church people and good stuff and positive stuff and encouraging stuff and, and, they, and, they, and they just make it all very positive. And then they bring in the worldly music and, and the worldly ways and they make the church worldly so that worldly people will like the church. I want to show you what Paul did. Look at Acts 20.27. 20, I believe this is the answer. Acts chapter 20 and verse 27 Acts 20:27 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. He's recalling his ministry at Ephesus. And what did he say? I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole bulimia, the whole council, the whole will of God. I believe the church is for Christians. A weird concept today, I know. I believe that the worship services of a church were designed for Christians to worship God, to edify and equip one another, to go out into the world and evangelize the lost. And when they get evangelized by believers who were out of the salt shaker and into the world, then when they get a new heart and a new mind, they are going to hunger for the entirety of the teaching of the Word of God. We've ministered to Chinese people back in, in Pennsylvania Many of them coming from mainland China. These are people with advanced degrees who have studied in a totally atheistic culture. They come to America. We had one young lady who had a Ph.D. from Harvard in in, uh, microbiology. You know, I didn't try to argue her into a creationist viewpoint. But when she got saved... It wasn't long before she became a creationist, a very avid one. Why? Because God gave her a new heart. He gave her a new mind. He gave her new eyes. Our job is not to somehow argue people into a Christian viewpoint. It's to show them by the law of God that they are sinners that need the Savior, lead them to faith in Christ. He then gives them a new heart and a new mind, and then they begin to become eager to find out what God has to say about everything. I believe that the pulpit should be the place in a Christian church where the whole counsel of God is taught. Now, some things are more important than others, and the gospel must always be central. But we must not make the church worldly in order to get the world in here so they can get saved. The church should be godly and go out into the world and be the light and be the salt, and lead people to Jesus, and then bring them in to join us and become part of the people of God who join their hearts as believer priests, praising and glorifying our God with one heart and soul and mind. The whole Council of God. So, I invite you to join us in coming Sunday mornings as we study the counsel of the wonderful Counselor. Next week, Lord willing, we will start in the beginning with Cain, God's first counseling session recorded in the Bible. He dealt with Cain in the area of anger and depression. He gave him wonderful counsel. We wonder how in the world can a man... Bring guns into a hotel room and then knock the window out and then shoot people who were gathering for a patriotic country concert. How can a man have that kind of murder in his heart? Next Sunday morning, we're going to study the first murder. Cain killed his brother. Why did he do it? And how did God counsel him in the roots of that great evil? Let's bow in prayer. And Father, as we consider our lives in the light of Your Word, we thank You that You, Lord Jesus, are the wonderful Counselor. And You've placed Your Holy Spirit within every believer to be our Counselor. You've given us Your Word as Your wonderful Counsel. Forgive us, Lord, when we have sought worldly counsel and not consulted You. Help us, Lord, to live in the light of Your Word, to accept Your correction, Your guidance, Your help, that we might live that abundant life that is full of joy and peace and love. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, we're... um... We stand here comforted to know that you are the eternal Counselor, that you come beside us, you comfort us, you direct us. We lift up all those on our list today that need comfort and guidance, that you'll minister to them as only you can. We lift up the mission of the day, TWR, Trans World Radio, that takes the news of your comfort that you're the counselor and it transcends um, borders and ideologies and religions that are man made to spread your kingdom throughout the world and to bring the world to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.